Welcome to the Restaurant Boiler Room, Episode 5. I'm your host, Rick Ormsby, Managing Director at Unbridled Capital. Today in the Boiler Room, I answer round two of questions in a two-part series from a recent interview with Chris O'Cull, Consumer and Retail Analyst for Stiefel Financial Corp. The first question is, what do you advise franchise clients to consider when purchasing a company-owned location? Number two, what red flags should investors look for when a chain's franchisees are consolidating or getting flipped? Number three, how has the rapid expansion of family office consolidators impacted restaurant M&A financing? And number four, has there been any changes in the credit market to making financing easier for operators? The Restaurant Boiler Room is a one-stop shop for multi-million dollar merger and acquisition activity and financial complexities affecting the franchise restaurant industry. We talk money, deals, valuations, and risk delivered to the front door of franchisees, private equity firms, family offices, large investors, and franchisors on an every other week basis. Feel free to find our content at Unbridled Capital's website at www.unbridledcapital.com. Now, let's enter the boiler room. What do you advise clients to consider when purchasing a company-owned location? Well, interestingly, buyers of company-owned restaurant packages and buyers of franchisee restaurants are often two different groups. They will sometimes cross over, but normally not. Refranchising of corporate-owned units generally has the following benefits. Number one, greater confidence in the financial information being presented. Number two, easier lease assignment process since the franchisor typically will remain guaranteed on the leases. Number three, pricing upside in the P&Ls, since corporate typically keeps pricing much lower than that of franchisees. This can be a huge benefit. Just a 5 to 6% increase in pricing could have a tremendous positive effect on EBITDA, as pricing generally flows through at 85 plus percent. Number four, the ability to increase margins, since franchisors almost universally run poor P&Ls. And number five, franchisors generally own in big markets, so they typically sell a consolidated group of stores, which is appealing to many from a GNA standpoint and for traveling purposes. Now, corporate-owned locations are not always desirable to some buyers for the following reasons. Number one, pricing is generally way too high based on a market multiple of EBITDA. Number two, corporate deals can be difficult to finance since the price can be more arbitrary. Number three, franchisors generally have more near-term remodeling obligations than franchisees. They generally, not always, but they generally don't keep up with CapEx as well. Number four, franchisors will often add huge development obligations on their corporate refranchise markets, often greater than what you will find on franchise-to-franchise acquisitions. Additionally, some franchisors will have liquidated damages if new unit development doesn't occur. Number five, some franchisors will mark up third-party leases. In addition to being bad business practice, in my opinion, it also affects lease-adjusted leverage and makes borrowing more difficult. Number six, in recent years, some franchisors have started requiring acquirers of corporate locations to guarantee to keep their assets for a minimum of five years or give back the profits from sale if the assets are sold to another franchisee during this same time period. Number seven, many franchisees don't like the corporate culture at the store level and experience significant management turnaround post-acquisition when compared to franchisee locations. And the last, number eight, key operators for franchisors don't often know how to run a true P&L. When they work for corporate, they typically only manage sales, food costs, and labor costs, and therefore may struggle with doing so when they work for a franchisee. 
For franchisee-owned businesses, the upside and downside are typically the inverse of the company-owned locations just mentioned. Our next question is, what red flags should investors look for when a chain's franchisees are consolidating or getting flipped? Well, when I see a chain experiencing significant turnaround in its franchise base, the first question I ask is, why is this happening? Franchisee turnover in the 2 to 4% per year range is probably a healthy ongoing annual number. Life just happens. We get older, partners get in fights, people get divorces, some brands fall out of favor geographically, some owners want to monetize a big gain, kids want to get into the business, etc., etc. But there are definite inflection points when M&A spikes. Here are a few. Number one, when prices are high, operators will sell opportunistically. This isn't a bad thing. However, when prices get abnormally high for a long period of time, there's a concern about the long-term health of the acquiring franchisees at such high debt levels. For any brand that has been trading at 7x or higher of EBITDA for a long time, the brand needs to have a fantastic sales comps and a great product development platform, or there will likely be casualties in the franchise base at some point, especially for newer entrants at the end of an upcycle. Number two, when a brand is struggling, franchisees will generally want to sell or might be forced to sell by their lenders. If you see certain brands with a struggling market position or prolonged negative sales comps and there's a big exodus of the franchisees, this can be a worrisome sign, obviously. On the other hand, this transition can be healthy too if it replaces legacy franchisees with younger operators and fresher capital. Number three, M&A typically increases in brands that have near-term and significant remodeling costs and often when they are newly rolled out by the franchisor. It's my opinion that remodeling obligations are possibly the most notable indicator of the future financial health of a franchisee. Most legacy franchisees cannot afford to remodel many of their assets in a three to five year period, for example, and most franchisors cannot produce a reasonably priced remodel that will drive additional revenue in the stores. Number four, if a brand is comprised mostly of mom and pop operators and franchisees, then consolidation is happening rapidly right now. Smaller operators cannot juggle increasing labor costs, more regulation, and thinning margins. The question here is, how is a brand like this going to maintain its franchisee base without losing store count? And then number five, be cognizant of brands that have high concentration of their stores in West Coast or Northeast markets. These markets have huge minimum wage concerns and are likely to show increased M&A activity. Very few brands have an answer right now on how to handle this transformation in these areas. How has the rapid expansion of family office consolidators impacted restaurant M&A financing? Well, number one, the method of financing has changed. In the past, franchisees wanted to keep real estate assets. They loved real estate, its flexibility, and its long-term value, especially in their hometowns where they operated. Family offices with backed operators typically want to monetize real estate assets by financing through sale leasebacks. They typically do this either simultaneous to closing on the acquisition through the sale of a REIT or post-closing through single sales on the 1031 market. A second reason is higher borrowing requests. Family office consolidators typically want higher leverage so they can invest a smaller amount of equity into a deal. Leverage typically takes a front seat instead of interest rates, for example. Number three, the proliferation of lenders that specialize in smaller brands. As family offices look beyond the highest valued brands, we are starting to see professional money pour into lesser brands that previously didn't have sophisticated capital. This is spawning several types of lender specialties within different tiers of brands, in different geographies, and in brands that have struggling performance. 
Number four, lenders are becoming more willing to make larger loans to unproven operators based not on their operational experience, but more on their capitalization and future growth plans. And number five, consolidation is creating larger deals and more lender competition. It's also leaving a huge vacuum for smaller M&A financings, which are largely happening at regional banks and through SBA financing. Our last question is, has there been any change in the credit market to making financing easier for operators? Well, over the past few years, there's been an increase in covenant light loan packages and a slight increase in lease adjusted leverage ratios to enable higher borrowing. That's true. And we continue to see a trend of bifurcating acquisitions into separate loans, two of them, one for the operating company, a lot of people call that OPCO, and the other for the property company, people call that PropCo. Buyers are increasingly doing this to get higher loan-to-values, LTVs, on the property side and longer amortizations as high as 25 years, which is longer than historic levels. A big trend right now is the term loan B financing that's being introduced into the marketplace. Term Loan B is a term loan structured for sale to institutional investors. Term Loan B loans are starting to happen with larger operators, typically $30 million or more in EBITDA. There have been several in the Taco Bell system in the last year, for example, and a few of our clients are going through them now. They're very expensive to structure, several million dollars or more just in fees, and interest rates can be higher than what a traditional lender might offer. However, the loans are generally interest only, or at least have very little amortization, and leverage can be pushed to 7x and sometimes higher. Franchisees are using these term loan B loan proceeds to pay back debt obligations and fund acquisitions and remodels, and generally there's also a big dividend that is issued to shareholders as well. Thanks so much for entering the Boiler Room today. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you like these podcasts, please listen, rate, and review. I also encourage you to visit our website at www.unbridledcapital.com for the best franchise M&A and financial resources in the industry. Our website includes podcasts, videos, white papers, and a list of our M&A transactions. Please note that neither Rick Ormsby nor Unbridled Capital LLC give legal, financial, or tax advice. These podcasts represent opinions that have been prepared for informational purposes only. We expressly disclaim any and all liabilities that may be based on such information, errors therein, or omissions therefrom. Thank you.